Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. This is Carrion Johnson, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast, brought to you by RosterWatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and joining us today, a very, very special guest, all the way from the land of brotherly love. His name is Mike K. You can find him on Twitter at Mike underscore E underscore K, K A E Y. On Twitter, he covers the Philadelphia Eagles for NJ.com. You can find him there at NJ.com. Mike. What the hell's going on, brother? How you doing? Great, man. How, how how are things going up there? Good. You know, it's hotter than I recall it being in a very long time. But, you know, all things considered, you know, having grown up mostly in Florida, it's, it's all right. <laughs> I just got back home from Florida, and I can tell you it's a, it's a little bit nicer there than it is in Texas, especially with just how beautiful the just the beaches as you start getting further south in Florida. It starts to look like the tropics, man. It really is just a – just a really, a, I don't know if it's, if, if it's one of America's hidden gems, but I did not know that the Florida beaches were that wonderful. You know, oh, yeah. I took this last oh, trip. Yeah. Um, let me ask you just real quick, a couple, just you know, a couple things about the Eagles here. You know, speaking of it being hot there, it doesn't look like the Eagles are going to have to participate in any uh, mandatory mini camps out there in the heat. We talked a little bit about it off air, but I think it's interesting. Can you just kind of give the listeners um, this sort of the scoop about what's going on? What you guys have been able to see how you've been able to interact with the team thus far this season, what's going on with mandatory minicamp and when are things going to get back on the rails as far as your ability to report on the team, as far as from these live events. Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, I guess to start off, you know, uh, the Eagles were part of that NFLPA kind of joint effort to kind of squash the physicality of off season programs and uh, non mandatory workout. So they met with Nick Sirianni, who's a first-year head coach. He wanted to get them in there. Um, and basically, you know, it was a compromise. He he decided to go against team drills, made it mostly individual, non-contact, um, and then wiped out mini, uh, mandatory minicamp. And he got pretty good attendance. Really, the only guy who was a notable absence was Zach Ertz. And, you know, uh, you know, being a new head coach, you really want to establish yourself physically and mentally. And I think he was able to do that by making this compromise. Was it was it something where the team came to him and said they don't want to do this? Or was it just kind of as he came on board, he understood that this was a team that had been in those conversations, who would had this stuff going on and it was something that maybe he was uh was it Sirianni's decision well like was it was it his deal and and how does that go what does the chain of command look like as far as who who decides yeah it was his decision uh he met with the leadership group for the eagles if 
you know, which probably consisted of Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Brandon Graham, Fletcher Cox, among others. They kind of went back and forth and found this compromise. And I think it worked out really well. Um, we've been able to view three separate workouts. Uh, I unfortunately had to miss the first two. One was a rookie mini camp and then the other was a regular workout. But in this last one, they worked out at the link um, to kind of get that stadium feel. And I've never seen a practice more energetic, more uh, upbeat than this one. They were really having fun out there. Um, Sirianni's big on competition. He set up some like fun games for them to play in between workouts to kind of keep the camaraderie and the competition going in between, between drills. Um, and so it was interesting. You know, we don't know if Nick Sirianni is going to be successful, but he sure as hell is going to be liked. Oh, yeah. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, he had had the quote saying, you know, if he, his quote got a little bit of got a got, he got clowned a little bit on Twitter for saying, you know, we're got we got to be competitive. You know, we're going to be competitive in games. We got to learn to be competitive in practice. But you're saying that that's more than just a platitude. Like he's actually doing stuff between. Like between drills, what are they doing? They have to play rock, paper, scissors or something. Like what? what well, you no, know, they've had they've had races. They've they've done oh, cool. uh, all on a string catching. Uh, Devontae Smith and Travis Fulgham had the entire uh, roster huddled around them as they were doing like the throwback boomerang style uh, <laughs> football on a rope thing, catching passes, and either one of them dropped them. So. Uh, look, I, I think the energy was up. I think this is a team that's likable, um, which is I can tell you covering the team the last three years, at least the last year, was not really a lot of great vibes. Um, and so I think, you know, you're coming off the COVID season, you're coming off COVID for this country, and I think you're going to get kind of a feel good Eagles here. Now, are they the most talented team in the division? No. Are they the most talented team uh, in, in the tri-state area? No, but this is going to be a team that I think if you're going to buy into camaraderie being a major part of, of a team success, this team will definitely be levels up in that regard. Do you think so? How much of that has to do with post COVID Sirianni, new coach, all the rest. And does any of it have to do with the quarterback situation? I mean, it, does, do you think with the last couple of years with Carson Wentz, I mean, it's not that he's a bad guy that maybe the guys don't like, I, I'm not saying that, but there was all, you know, maybe some people were, would have maybe questioned about, um, you know, questioned whether he was going to be the guy moving forward. There wasn't much certainty to it. Do you feel like, you know, the, the new quarterback might have anything to do with it? And what is your general feeling on Jalen Hurst? Do you think that, you know, he's, 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 he's locked in? How does the team feel about him? Well, I think this is a very young staff. They're very energetic. They're taking part in drills. He's got a bunch of coaches that are under 40. So they're taking part in drills. He's the youngest, youngest position coach in the league, I believe, in Nick Rallis at linebackers coach. He is 27. Uh, you Gee know, whiz. your special teams coordinator is 29. I mean, this is a very, very young coaching staff. And they're having fun out there. And I think that you can feel the energy kind of energy has really been the buzzword for them with literally every player you talk to. Um, and look, I think Jalen Hurts is a guy that people gravitate towards. He can get along with pretty much anybody. He's got kind of a Nick Foles vibe where he's really easy to talk to. They're both he, Texas boys, man. They're both yeah, Texas. they are both Texas <laughs> boys. And, and look, I think they they have a, an appeal to everybody. They can get along with everybody. They're both really smart. Um, and they're not set in their ways. They're very adaptable. They they seem to, you know, there's a lot of Nick Foles to, to Jalen Hurts personality and intangible wise. And I think that's helped him kind of win over the locker room. I think 
the team also is really young. This is, there's a lot of first, second, and third-year players on here, and so they're growing with the quarterback. They don't have the the I don't want to say the stink, but like they don't have the wear and tear of going through that mm-hmm. Super Bowl. There's only so many veterans that were, are still around from that championship team, and I think I, the team didn't get complacent after the Super Bowl. But it seemed like they really leaned heavily into to that Super Bowl success as a parameter for their 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 past few seasons. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of wasn't helpful. So I think this young group is kind of feeling, uh, you know, the energy of the coaching staff and the likability of Jalen Hurts. And I think that that helps now from a from a talent standpoint. Look, Jalen Hurts is one of the he, he's in the bottom third of, of quarterbacks. I think that that's fair to say at least based on what we've seen. That said, he has the mobility. He has the the backyard football-like mentality um, and all the intangibles to eventually adapt and, and grow into a quarterback who can play at a high level. Um, this team has a very good offensive line when healthy. They have Dallas Goddard. They might have Zach Ertz, although it's highly doubtful. They just drafted Devontae Smith, who Jalen Hurts has a relationship with. They have Jalen Rager, who I think is going to be set up for success under this new staff. They have several guys who have a background with quarterbacks on this roster or or on this coaching staff. I mean, this is a, this is a quarterback and wide receiver friendly coaching staff, and they have a history of development. Um, Nick Sirianni has been a quarterback's coach and a wide receivers coach and an offensive coordinator. Jason Michael, the tight ends coach has been a quarterback's coach and was a quarterback in college. Uh, Shane Seichen was a quarterback in college has been a quarterback's coach. Um, Kevin Petula has been a quarterback's coach. He was a quarterback in college and so on and so forth. And so I think if anybody is being set up to succeed here, it's Jalen Hurts if he's the guy. And right now it feels like they're saying, look, we're going to give you this year in this transition period to kind of prove that you can be the guy. It's all on you. If you're the guy, we'll run with you. If if not, then we've got three, potentially three first round picks to spend and upgrade this this position. But I think right now they want to see what they have in Jalen Hurts. They spend a second round pick. Obviously that that caused some conflict behind the scenes. So if you liked him enough to cause that conflict, you've got to see this through and at least see what you have in him. Do you, do you think, Mike, uh, just one more quick one on Hurts. Do you think that we'll see him? Because I'm just like, Jesus Christ, he, just ru- he did so much rushing last year. I mean, at New Orleans, 18 for 106. At Arizona, he went 11 for 63 and one. At Dallas, he went nine for 69 and versus what? Yeah, versus Washington, uh, rushed eight times for 34 and two touchdowns. I mean, in fantasy football, that makes us all. You know, you talk about being a bottom third quarterback. Like we don't care about that. You know, if they're rushing the football that much, it's a mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good running back that throws touchdowns. Um, you know that you have in your quarterback slot. Do you think he'll keep it up with the with the rushing, or do you think, man, here, here's the, he's a he's the son of a coach, coach Hurts down at Channel View. I mean, he's he's very 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 smart. When you get him on the chalkboard, you figure once you kind of learn some of these concepts and gets more. I, I kind of just as somebody that is interested in him for fantasy, I, I like I worry that maybe he might pick things up in the passing game a little better, so he do, he's not having to rush like that. What do you think about his 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 his, uh, his rushing outlook for this season? Well, I think a guy to study um, as far as, you know, the parameter for his fantasy outlook and and the way he's used is Jacoby Brissett when he took over for Andrew Luck with the Indianapolis Colts. Nick Sirianni kind of used him. Yeah, yeah, he used him, you know, in the red zone as more of a runner. I think they want him to throw the ball in inside the 20s. I think that that's kind of the idea. And then once you get into the red zone, he's going to attack you from all angles. And I think – 
they're going to do everything they can to develop him as a passer as much as possible. Lincoln Riley obviously took massive steps forward. Like when he was at Alabama, there were scouts that were talking about him playing running back. Once he got to Oklahoma, you know, they brought out the best in him. And I think he took another step up uh, last year in in a few ways. The offense really wasn't predicated to his his strengths. I think Nick Sirianni is the type of guy who's going to put him in position to be as successful as possible. Now it's on him to kind of, you know, live up to that. But uh, I think this is going to be a good situation for him. You mentioned Jalen Rager earlier, and I, of course, want to ask you about Devontae Smith, but it really piqued my interest, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners' interest. One of you said that Jalen Rager, uh, the 2020 first-round pick out of TCU, could be set up for some more success this year because he was a real letdown for a lot of people that were high on him. Um, in basic uh, Philadelphia Eagles high receiver fashion recently. What what is it? What is it you? What is it that you think about Rager coming into this year? Well, watching him in training camp last year, he was killing folks on crossing routes, like killing guys. Like was getting open ninety nine percent of the time, catching everything. Um, last year, you saw him be used as like a gadget guy to downfield receiver but he's a yak weapon to me and i think what they'll end up doing is putting him at the z spot they'll have him run the slot he'll rotate with Devontae smith at both of those positions Devontae smith will also play the x spot and then travis fogelman will come in and be that third guy but i think with jalen rager you're going to see him face a lot more press cover face a lot less press coverage because he's going to be in that he's going to have space in the slot and in the z spot um and i think that'll help him look he got off to a rough start he injured his shoulder in training camp and then had that freak finger injury. So, like, it kind of slowed him down. It took away his momentum. He still put up almost 400 yards, even though he only played 11 games. And that, honestly, if you're looking at that in a vacuum with the Eagles wide receivers, that's <laughs> relatively productive, you know what I mean, given the circumstances. Uh, I also think you could see him more a punt returner. He scored a touchdown on one of his very few punt returns as well. So I, I think he's a guy who gives you an option. Like maybe if you have, you know, I don't. it depends on what type of league you're in. But like if you're in a 12-team league and he's your wide receiver three, I think you feel pretty good about him. Um, and maybe for the potential to be a wide receiver two. Uh, obviously, fantasy is not my, my forte, but I would say he's going to be a decent number two wide receiver with Devontae Smith. I think he was overdrafted. I think, you know, the Eagles really missed out on Justin Jefferson, but I think Devontae Smith is going to be a guy who's the real deal. And he, the two of them are going to complement each other despite having similar body types and skill sets. You said that Devontae Smith is going to be lining up at the X some, you think? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Look, he's got the best feet I've ever seen. And he's one of the, he's one of the best route runners in the game. And look, here's the thing. You can, the one way to beat press, we know when you are smaller, is to have fast feet. And he has those. He's a technician. He's a guy who's going to beat you one on one and 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 put you, you know, he's like Allen Iverson on the field. Like really, it's it's one of those things. He's going to cross guys up. Now, can you can you put go make him like a permanent X receiver? Absolutely not. His body will take a beating. But I think when you see 15 to 20 snaps at X, then he moves into the slot, he moves into Z. You feel good about that. A timeshare for him, he's going to move around. Nick Sirianni wants guys that can play all three wide receiver positions. Look, if Travis Fulgham and Devontae Smith are, 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 you know, you've got three guys who can play all three positions Mm and Fulgham, Smith, and Rager. And all those guys are moving around. You feel pretty good about that. And I think that will be their top three guys. The only way that doesn't happen is if Greg Ward somehow um, just – 
one-ups everybody, but he's really a stationary slot receiver. So you feel good about those three guys. Um, obviously, they're not on par with the Cowboys trio or the Giants trio or Washington's trio or some of the other trios in the league. But there's that upside. I just think Devontae Smith has been the real deal so far. We're not going to know until he has pads on. But everything you hear about this kid um, and study, he's he's legitimate. I mean, look, the SEC is the most physical conference in college football. He was going up against guys like J.C. Horn, uh, you know, on a biweekly basis and having success. Like, that's the thing. Like, people act like. Yes, the NFL is completely different speed and everything, but from a physicality standpoint, he was going up against grown men in physical quality. Sertan, Stingley, some of these guys. Right, he went up against Sertan in practice like every day. Like it's not like he's never seen that type of physicality before. And so I think, look, the the weight stuff is is somewhat whatever. I mean, like, look, I get it if you have concerns. I get it if you don't have concerns. But from a technique standpoint, this kid is as polished – as there's been of a wide, rookie wide receiver, like in, in covering the NFL for 12 years and beat writing for six or seven, whatever it is now, I'm getting old. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I've seen a technician like this. And I used to cover Allen Robinson and Allen Robinson. We all know about Allen Robinson. So right. um, it'll be interesting to see how this all turns out. But I think Devontae Smith's going to have a pretty good rookie year. I wish I had the exact quotes from Sertan pulled up when they asked him about covering him and pra- asked about covering him in practice. He said he's like the toughest, like the toughest cover. Just so, yeah, it certainly certainly makes a lot of sense. And how how pathetic that whenever we talk about these three wide receiver set, if we're just, if it's not Travis Fulgham, the first guy that comes to your mind is Greg Ward, who played in the USFL and not JJ Ortega Whiteside, who they took. I think they took him before DK Metcalf went off the board. Uh, that that year just uh, is that just is it burdens for him is he just done he's just no good it's they've, like, been, they've been trying to use him at all three positions and if he can do that that'll help him he's one of the few guys who can be used in the red zone effectively look I don't think Doug Peterson put him in the right spots if you, I mean to play to his strengths he's a jump ball wide receiver they have him out there running ground so if they can make him a situational sub package player where he plays x in the red zone Maybe he, you know, look, the scholarship's over. Like, I, I know we harp on these draft picks and everything, like, and pedigrees. Once you get to year three, everything's yeah. on an even keel, in my opinion. Right. Um, I, or, yeah, look, I mean, look, you look at Andre Dillard. Andre Dillard's facing, you know, he was a former first-round pick. He's facing a, a, a seventh-round pick who used to be an Australian rugby player, and it's an even competition. It's year Is three. Is that true? Andre yeah, Dillard has a lot. Yeah, Jordan Milata, it's a legit competition. So what I'm saying here is like if Arcego Whiteside can can take on a sub package role, you might feel good about it. Um, you know, there are players in the league who have made a living simply by working the red zone. And I think, you know, look, it doesn't look good for him. He's facing off against guys like John Hightower, who has tremendous speed, and Quez Watkins, who's like a unique X Factor type player. Mm-hmm. But once you get past that top three guys, like really it's a bunch of dudes that you're like, cool, they have one really good trait. Can they take advantage of that trait? Oh, it, it, but th- th- those those top two guys, man, Rager and Devontae Smith, I know you said, you know, pedigree only means so much, but there's certainly at this point in time, they certainly are pedigreed. And I th- think they're still within that scholarship realm that you talk about. Like mm-hmm. we still got to give them the, the benefit of the doubt from uh, uh, for Rager. Of course we do for Devontae Smith. Um Okay, so you mentioned you you don't think Zach Ertz is going to be is going to be around. Um, 
I had one of our friends on that's a, uh, from Dynasty Depot. He lives in Philadelphia, certainly not as plugged into the team as you are, but he listens to local radio and stuff. He says, you know, the local radio stations are all saying that they're not going to pay him. Um, there's no way he's going to be around. How do you handicap it? Do you feel like Zach Ertz is sort of part of this um, part of the, the this old kind of cadre of Eagles that you mentioned that don't, don't feel like the culture uh, nowadays feels like that same culture it was for the last years of Doug Peterson? Well, I think you've got like this feel good honeymoon phase with these young kids and some of the veterans and Zacherts hasn't been a part of that. And, you know, they both haven't agreed on, on contract extensions. Zach, frankly, you know, if you played fantasy, you know that his play didn't warrant an $8.5 million salary. And the fact of the matter is now that it's past June 1st, they can save $8.5 million by simply cutting him or trading him. Now, a lot of people want value for him, including Howie Roseman, and that's fine, but they have major needs at cornerback. They have um, only two quarterbacks on their roster right now. There's there's stuff to be done at linebacker. There's stuff to you could do at, at is Flacco. Hold on. Is Flacco the only other quarterback on the roster? Yep. They cut Jamie Newman on uh, – What's today? Oh. Thursday. They cut him on, on Wednesday. So, so look, there's stuff to be done. They always seem to do something between mini camp or the offseason program and training camp. Right now they have about $4.9 million in salary cap space before signing Landon Dickerson. So you're probably looking at like 4 million, but if you had 12.45 million, you could make some, some realistically, you know, impactful moves. And frankly, they look like a team that wants to be more of an air raid style group. They want to go more, you know, 11 personnel. And if you have Zach Ertz, you kind of have to go in 12 personnel, one running back to tight ends. You'd rather, you know, if you had your druthers with Dallas Goddard being in his, the last year of his contract, you want to figure out what he is. So you can sign him to an extension. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so you've just spent two back to back, two first round picks on wide receivers. You want both those guys on the field. But then on top of that, Travis Fulgham is a guy who's cheap and could give you really good production. So, like, when you look at that, you probably feel better. I mean, look, Zach Ertz is a top 10 tight end. There's no question about it. He still has juice. It's all good. But for $8.5 million with a rebuilding team, I don't know if that's necess- necessarily what you how you want to allot that cash. He's the third highest paid player on the team right now. Um, and last year obviously wasn't effective and he doesn't want to be there. So you've got to figure out a way to make this work. And here's the thing. If he gets, if they get to training camp and he doesn't want to get fined, he shows up and he's mopey. You're kind of throwing a monkey wrench into, into all these good feelings and good vibe mm-hmm. here. So I, I think that ultimately this will end in divorce. I'd say there's like a 25% chance he plays for the Eagles this year. 25%. Uh, all right. So, do you think, and so you said it feels like you're kind of still in evaluation mode for Dallas Goddard. For me, I've been sold the whole time. It's for, for me, it's just let the guy loose. Uh, but do you, I know, I know, I know that you beat guys. Um, I know that you guys just kind of know things that whenever you said, I just, my ears perk up. Do you, do you think that the team is still kind of in evaluation mode with, with Goddard? Is he a guy who they, who they don't feel like they quite know what they have in, or is he, does he feel like a guy who, if there is no Zach Ertz, that maybe if you were to ask them behind closed doors, they would say like, damn, like we're excited to see what, what this well, dude think, has this year. I think they're excited about him, but he's also had some minor injuries over the last few years. He's been more of an inline guy, which probably wouldn't be his role as the number one tight end. They used him a little bit more downfield last year. 
which was good to see. And he played well when he was healthy, but he, again, he's had ankle injuries. He's had, he's had calf injuries. Like he's had stuff that you don't want to see if he's going to be the guy you're investing in. And here's the thing, the tight end market's pretty high. It's like 12 to $15 million. You're not, I mean, he hasn't gotten to that talent wise. He's a top, you know, six tight end, but you haven't seen the production that warrants a contract like that. And so to benefit him and the team, you probably want to wait on an extension because Goddard, if he blows up and he has a, a you know, a 60 catch, 800 yard oh, touchdown please. season, please. I mean, <laughs> it's going to be like a fantasy bar mitzvah and you're going to extend this dude to crazy money. But right now, right? Like right now, All right. I mean, he's maybe worth six seven million based on that production so well, i mean i mean if if darren waller's only making 7.4 or whatever it is he's making the but you know that's a bad contract but yeah, yeah. well I mean, I, you know he's gone through a lot and there was a yeah. lot going on there but look i think with dallas goddard right if you can get a if you can use him cheap this year you know you have the franchise tag next year so you have leverage let's see what he's got um and so i think he's a guy who is you know he's a multi-tool tight end, which is something Zach Ertz isn't. Zach's not a blocker. He's not a yards after the catch guy. Goddard can do all that stuff. Physically, he and and athletically, he's superior to Zach Ertz. That said, Zach Ertz is probably the mo- has the most reliable hands at the position, uh, and he gets open all the time, despite not being super athletic or fast. Uh, he just runs that that Y route very very well, right. um, and it's tough for, for linebackers and safeties. So I, I look, I think for this offense to evolve, I think Dallas Goddard's got to be the guy, and it, to make this more of a down the field offense. And so the Eagles, if they've got a guy who doesn't want to be there, they've got to kind of figure this out because it's not just you know it's not just the eight point five million dollars in savings. It's not just the return on the trade. It's the fact that you have a locker room that feels really good right now. Do you want to bring in a guy who's a franchise cornerstone who's miserable? Like that to me is is the biggest you know objective to take care of here. And so I think, look, if I were Howie Roseman, I'd be shopping player for player. I, I would look for a team that has like a a fourth or third corner who they think can can be a number two. Um, and kind of make a deal because then you can sell the upside of the player and it's not like you're attaching it to some like fictitious value because we all know, you know, it's cool to trade a guy for a third round pick, but that third round pick could end up being, you know, whoever, like, you know what I mean? So it could end up being a punter. There, there, there are things that happen that like we tend to both overvalue and undervalue draft picks and realistically, Look, you look at J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, would you rather have, um, you know, you know, you, you have a second second round pick, but would you rather have Zach Ertz or J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, right? If J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, turned, he's, he was a second round pick, let's say he fell to the third round, that's the type, type of value and gamble you're taking. So maybe trade for a proven player who's on a rookie contract. Okay, so I, I just I have I have one more main question I want to ask you, but just a quick a quick side question, um, just because I wanted to ask you because you would know better than what our automated stuff pulled in. It look you talked about the need for maybe a cornerback. If it just stays as it is right now, is it Darius Slay and Avante Maddox outside, and then at nickel is it Kayvon Wallace? No, so it would be uh, Darius Slay, Avante Maddox in the slot or nickel. Oh, and, okay. And That's then cool. you'd either have Craig James 
or uh, Zach McPherson, the fourth round rookie starting outside. So like I said, (laughs) options aren't really appealing. Now, look, I said this on our podcast earlier today, the No Huddle Show podcast. Um, I'd feel a lot better about Darius Slay and Steven Nelson with Avante Maddox in the slot than I would about Darius Slay, Zach McPherson, and and Avante Maddox in the slot, Mm -hmm. like tenfold. So, uh, look, I think they will add somebody right now. The money probably isn't there. Um, But I think once they they make a decision on Zachers, then they can move forward. That's not the best group of corners to go against CD and Amari and Terry McLaurin and now Curtis Samuel and now Kenny Galladay. And, and, the list goes on. We could spend Terry 20 minutes Wayne. naming yeah. the other one. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So he is Mike K. You can find him on Twitter at Mike E at Mike underscore E underscore K K A E Y. Find his content at NJ.com where he covers the Eagles. And what was the name of that pod? Uh, the No Huddle Show podcast. And by the way, it's K A Y E. What did I say? K A E Y. It's all right. <laughs> it's, it made me sound like a Disney, like a, the Disney. You know, song. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. K A Y E. The JJ or single white side mistakes. It happens. <laughs> so it's the it's, it's it's the no huddle show podcast. I'll be going and subscribing there. We encourage you guys to do it. Please give Mike a follow. Mike, just one last question for you, brother. Um, do do Staley now with the uh, now out now out of there? Are we going to see the running back carries start to just maybe is Miles Sanders finally just going to get just a ton of just a ton of work? They're just going to load him up, feed the man, let him loose, and let all our fantasy dreams run wild. Are we in? Are we in for much more committees? I was waiting for this, Alex. I was yeah. waiting for this. Question. You see Boston Scott behind me. <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite article I've ever written in my career is about how uh, he helped his dad overcome a stroke. You check that no. out on com. No. But anyway, look. If you study Nick Sirianni, you know that he has worked under a lot of coaches who really like rotations with specific roles. So he'll have a feature back, you know, uh, um, uh, a Jonathan Taylor, uh, um, uh, a Marlon Mack. Then he'll have kind of a short yardage blocking back. Um Jonathan Wilkins, or right, Jonathan Wilkins, yeah, Jordan, Jordan Wilkins, Jordan Wilkins, Jordan Deontay Wilkins. Foreman for a little while last right, year. Right, right. Those yeah. guys, he'll have Carryon Johnson be that guy, most likely. Then he'll have like a third down Naheem Hines type guy. Uh, Shane Steichen had Austin Eckler in that kind of role, sort of for, and Danny Woodhead in that role for a while. Um, Dexter McCluster, sort of thing, and that'll be Kenneth Gainwell. And then he has kind of like a utility back. And that'll probably be the guy over my shoulder. This, oh, this shoulder? Yeah. This, but, this, this, all right. Anyway. Yeah. And then Boston Scott will be the fourth time, most likely. So, like, it, but we talked to Jamal Singleton the other day, who's their new running backs coach and assistant head coach, took over for Deuce Daly. Um, he said that sometimes you have a rotation that's just two guys and then the other guys kind of sh- spell dudes. But I would expect that Miles Sanders finally hits that thousand yard rushing mark this year. I, I still think that that's doable. I don't think his touchdowns will be there though. I do think carry on Johnson, Boston Scott will be those guys. Uh, I also think his passing targets will be down a little bit because carry on Johnson, really good third down back. Kenneth Gainwell, that Naheem Hines role is going to get passed to Boston. Scott's a really good uh, screen pass player. So 
I think they're going. You're going to see Miles Sanders be more specific in what he does. Sure, he'll catch the ball every now and then, but I think you're going to see his receptions go down, his rushes go up, and his overall yardage go up from a running back perspective. 